Ah, good morning, church family. Rise and shine. What a beautiful fall time frame here in the North Country for us. Amen? It's, uh, this can hang, hang out for another month or so. I'd be okay with that. You do know that. I'm sure you do. Uh, <clears throat> if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just so blessed that you were able to come and join us this morning as we worship our Lord and, and draw our attention, our lives to just really focus in on him this morning. Uh, life can get very busy through the week and we are constantly, as you are, I'm sure, uh, focused on him daily. But there's a time where it's just incredible for an opportunity as God's people gather together. I know that's not always a fond thought for some of you because of your history of church experience or or you've never been to a church before I remember the first time walking to church I was like this is the most bizarre thing and then the alerts were going off and going crazy and like what am I doing here um, wherever you find yourself and for some like me this is refuge I, I could be here every day because there's such incredible love of Christ living in and through his people that there's a blessing that comes upon gathering and when his people are gathered in his name so wherever you are today I pray that it will be moving in the direction of this, this sense of peace and just feeling home and just belonging that God promises us as he gathers his people together. We're going to be worshiping in heaven for eternity, serving him for eternity. Why? We can start now uh, into that, uh, that sense of peace that comes from gathering here. But let us open up in prayer and let us get into those, his word this morning. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the fact that we can freely come and sit here we're not made to come <laughs> some may have been made to come but lord may it be different that they we came now at the end as we come through and, and and you speak to our hearts yes it can get very uncomfortable for, and for for many but it can be very comforting for others and it's only by your holy spirit that you can speak to each individual here and i pray that there would be no hindrance whatsoever from your spirit moving and illuminating your word to the hearts of the people. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you personally, have not born again, today is the day of their salvation, that they would have eternal life. They would choose to follow you. We again, we know apart from you, we can do nothing. And as we open right back up where we left off last week, Lord, speak to your people's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite things is to constantly remind you. I know how important it is how for me to be reminded. Things in this world can consume you and distract you, and there's always a squirrel moment. And those squirrel moments can cause you and I to lose track of what is really important in the eyes of God and what he has for you on a daily, li daily life, a daily, a daily living. You have ministries, responsibilities, 
Yes, all the fears and concerns and the cares of the world that can creep in. And we're always needing to be reminded, and there's no different here in 2 Peter, as Peter is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak to the people, these believers, who were knowing that there was going to be persecution. It's not going to be easy life being a Christian. It was going to be false teachers that were going to creep in and distract them from the truths of God, the Word of God. They'll convince people to do everything and look and read anything and watch everything and a little snippet here and a little vignette there. Anything but reading the Word of God. And they didn't even have the distractions like we had today. They didn't have the internet. You didn't have your phones. You didn't have computers. You didn't have any of these things back then. But it was no different then than it is today. The enemy will do whatever it takes to distract you from what God has for your life. We find that we saw last week that we, we could be very thankful. We could be thankful for the fact that we were given his divine power to live the Christian life and in godliness. We saw that in verse 3 of chapter 1. We can be thankful because we were given the exceedingly great and precious promises there we saw in verse 4. We can also be very thankful because we are now partakers of the divine nature we saw in verse 4. We have escaped the corruption in this world and all the lust that it has in it. Verse 4. All of these things were given to you as a child of God. We have these promises. We have these, expect these incredible ability to say, I can be free from the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that had destroying my life at one point. It may even be destroying your life now. See, this means we must be marked as a spiritual growth in our life as a, Christian, as a Christian life. Becoming more in the nature of Christ. We saw that in verse 8. And this Christian living must be based on the authoritative word of God and not on the alluring experiences of the Lord. It is very dangerous to build your Christian life on the subjective experiences alone and, and ignoring the object of revelation from the Word of God. Many people today as Christians are chasing from experience to experience. That's why they call it church hopping. Because at once they don't no longer get the experience they're looking for, the programs they're looking for, the everything they're looking for, they jump to the next one that has a promise to them. But let me reassure you, my brothers and sisters, the grass you think is greener in the other pasture is not always greener when you get there. Because if it's not based on the authoritative word of God it will leave you empty and you will leave you dry. It's just the way it is. After 27 years of watching people's lives, I can tell you I've learned a few things. Don't repeat the same mistakes. 
Stay focused on where God is guiding you, not where your feelings are guiding you. Because the Christian who knows what he believes and why he believes it will rarely be seduced by the false teachers and their devious doctrines that are weaving in and through that's tickling your ears. I always ask the question, why, is, why do you feel like your ears need to be tickled? Because you've watched or listened or heard and, and the feelings and the emotions and all the things that can take you down away from the, the authoritative word of God that transforms one's life. So Peter here picks back up in his letter here, or we should say we should, and is reminded of the need to be reminded. Peter explains why he writes about the things that they have heard before. Why are you writing the things you've already been telling us? Why do you keep repeating the same things, Pastor, over and over? And Peter is going to say, let me tell you why. Because we have, a dis we have a tendency to forget and to wander away from the truths of God. That basics of Christian living are so important. And that's why for this reason, verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1. For this reason, I will not be neglect. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. What are these things that he says he does not want to be negligent of doing? It takes us back to verses 5 through 7 where he's reminded as a believer we must understand that in verse 5 we're good for every reason be diligent to add to your faith virtue that moral excellence the virtue to knowledge knowledge to self-control self-control to perseverance or patience and to perseverance to godliness to godliness to brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love and if we're not paying attention to these things in our own life personally you're going to struggle in this christian life because you're going to always be battling with the world. You will be battling within. And the enemy is going to have a field day with you. And so he says, I'm going to remind you of these things over and over. Because Peter just wrote about the promise of entrance in the everlasting kingdom of God there in verse 11. Do you realize God has given you an entrance into eternity? Why wouldn't I constantly talk about and remind you about eternity? Why wouldn't I not constantly be reminding you that Jesus is coming back for his church? Why would I not be constantly be reminding you to live a life that is pleasing to God because he's made a way for you and I to have eternal life? Can you tell me, Peter is saying, what would be more important in your life right now than eternity? So when you ask, why am I reminding you? 
Because you keep living like a life that is not have eternity. You're living like a life like you're going to continue to live your life and buy the house and the bigger house and the better cars and more of this and travel here. You are living like a life that like there's no eternity. Like that this is all there is to life. Because the cares of the world have distracted you. The lust of the flesh has distracted you. The lust of everything that is often offered there will distract you from what is important, and that's eternity and the returning of Christ. You're a child of God. You're not a non-believer who's going to hell any longer. You're going to heaven. And you have a mission to go reach those who are going to hell and tell them the good news that you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. You could choose Christ. And because the coming of the kingdom is so important, it is helpful and necessary for Peter to remind you always, to remind us of the basics of Christian life. And he says, I'm not going to neglect, I'm not going to neg- neg- uh, uh, in a, any form or fashion negligent in my role and responsibility as a pastor to teach you what the true basics of Christian life is like. Even though his readers didn't know the truth, he says, I know you know this stuff. I know this, these are established in your, these truths are established in your life. I know you already know it. And that can be very challenging for some people. To hear their pastor constantly reminding them of the basics of Christian living. But one of the things I've learned in my own life, at any time I sit there, I've never... One of the challenges that you always have is when, as a pastor, when you're not teaching, you're actually going in and just sitting and being still to be taught. One of the things I learned very early on, I come in and I sit, I just want to hear God's truth. Whatever you have for me, Lord, make sure that person is opening up and he's just teaching your word. That's all I want. I don't want gimmicks, I don't want entertainment. I'm not sitting down going, let me see if he has anything new he can teach me. Never have that mindset. Never. That means your mindset's not right when you're sitting down there. If you sit and say, okay, try to teach me something new. You've got a pride issue. Let me tell you that. Let me remind you already of what you already know. You have a pride issue. But we must come and just sit and say, Lord... Based on your Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? There's no greater joy than to sit and to just hear the word of God just simply taught. To be reminded of what I needed to hear and to let the Spirit of God do that. I don't have to create it. I don't have to look for it. I'm not going to church. Did you see what the topic is and what are you going to be teaching? I'm not. I already know that. I only want prophecy. I only want this. I want only creation. I only want this. Like you think you already know what you need. Your life's messed up. 
Why don't you just let God trust God in what he knows he's trying to work in your life to work out the things he does. And he does that so delicately and lovingly and gentle and kind and long-suffering. He knows what's best for you. You're the child of God. And so what Peter is saying here, I know this is repetition. I know I'm repeating this. I know you already have this. I know you're already establishing these truths. But guess what? The best teacher is repetition. If you're a parent, you're figuring this out. <laughs> if you're a parent, you haven't figured it out yet. You, 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 you're really in trouble. Because that is the best teaching. And you just pray they're going to finally get it. You know how many times a pastor teaches a seminary? And he's just like, okay, they've been sitting here for five, ten years. I really hope they're going to finally get it. Because as you go through the entire word of God, as you read through the word of God year after year, here a little, there a little, this little, little you know, precept upon precept, line upon line. As you do these things, do you know that God knows the mixture of what you need to have in your life to keep and have a balanced Christian life and understanding? He really knows what's best. And so you always go with this open heart. You're not looking to be cleverly fancy, unique presentations and skills and speaker and entertainment and little props here to keep you entertained. And, ooh, look at this. And it, okay. you got to grow up and learn to sit and hear the word of God and desire the, to consume what God has for you through the word of God. And so when you go back home, you do the same thing, just one-on-one -on -one with them. And then you teach your children to love the word of God. Because they need to be established as well. Many times people think they're established and they balk at the hearing the, the gospel one more time. They balk on hearing the, these different truths. Tell me something new. Well, that's a very dangerous thing. And we will see that here at the end of chapter 1 and the warning from Peter regarding that. You know, it's interesting. We know in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. This word, the same word establish is seen there. It means strengthen. That through what you already know, you need to be strengthened in the present truth. Jesus said it the same thing to Peter. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. And why? Because if you remember, he walked away, he denied Christ. Satan wanted to sift him. Wanted to take him out. But because Jesus was praying for him and preserving him, he says, I know you're going through a very going to be going through a very difficult time in your walk as a Christian. But when you come out of this, Peter, and you will come out of this, Peter, I need you to go and strengthen your brothers with what you've learned. Help them establish them, help strengthen them through that trial and tribulation you're going to go through. Don't waste it. 
But go and establish, because the scripture is so sure, is such a firm foundation that is established on the presence of who Jesus Christ is. And it's not just about experiences, it's about the understanding of who Jesus is and the word of God. And when you get that understanding, he's going to find, as we look at this, he says here in verse 13, yes, I think it is right. As long as I'm in this tent. To stir you up by reminding you. Nothing that shortly I must put off my tent. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now it's interesting as we take a look at this scripture here that in verses 13 and 14 he, he, you can see the Peter's heart of urgency. I think it is right. He knew it was right. He longed here. He's at the end of his life. He's probably in, in prison still as he's writing this. He knows it's only a matter of time he is going to die. He is so sure of it and knows of how he's going to die because Jesus told him how he was going to die. But he understood that his body was just a tent. It's temporary living. This is not long term. And you don't invest money in a tent. You invest money in what is going to be your long term housing. You don't put it into a tent. He says this is just temporary. And I want to, I know with no question in my mind, to remind you, to stir you up because you've gotten so complacent as a Christian. You're so complacent just living daily as a, as a Christian that you're not being stirred up in understandings of the truths of God. They're there. You've had the foundation laid. You may have grown up in the church. You may have heard it your whole life, but you're so sedentary. You're almost like, like you don't even care about the things of, 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 of God any longer. And, God, and Peter says, I'm here to stir you up. I'm here to remind you of these truths for your sake. I'm about to die. I'm about to leave this tent. This is not for me. This is for me to just be diligent and continue to do what God's called me to do until I die. And I'm going to stir you up by reminding you. So you see here, not only in verse 12, but also here in verse 13, he uses the word reminding one more time to be reminded, a reminder, a remembrance. Don't forget these things. Because understand, he understand what was at stake here. Peter knew it was right to remind the people constantly because he knew that the days of the earthly life would soon come to an end. He knew, even then, how much more do we know today that this life that we know of earth today is coming to an end. It's all going to change. God's word says it will. He is always 100% right and accurate. We're just waiting for his timing. See, to remind to stir you and I up, I know you know these things, but are you doing these things? That's where we see even in James and others, 
Oh, you know so much. But you do nothing. You do little of doing these things. They're just in your head. Peter is stirring us up. The Spirit of God is stirring us up. No longer just have it in your head. You've got to be doing it. You must be living it. This is not, as a child of God, this is not negotiable. Like I tell parents, your kids are negotiating with you. How long do you tolerate negotiations? Are they in control over your family and your, and your life as an adult, as a parent? You do know you have a problem. So why do you think you're going to negotiate with God? As a child of God. It's foolishness. You do know that. And so he's being stirred up here. He says, surely I'm going to put off my tent. He could, he's considering his, his body no more. It's a tent. It's just temporary living for him now. And he's just waiting for it to roll out and the time for him to go and be in the presence of God because he knows it's short. It could be the fact that he was just, act, just getting older or the fact that he was in prison and he knew things seemed to be lining up and he knew what God had already told him. He, God told him clearly in John 21, verses 18 and 19, for instance, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed him that he was going to be martyred. He was going to be martyred. He was going to be killed for his faith. The persecution was going to come down and flood upon him. And think about this. Jesus prophetically told Peter, you're going to die and this is how you're going to die. He believed in the prophetic word of God that it was going to come to fruition. He knew that there was a time in his life where it doesn't matter what was going to happen around him. He could have gotten a severe cold and pestilence could have hit him. And everyone says, you're going to die, Peter, because of your pestilence. Oh, no, they're going to go and they're going to behead you right now, Peter, right now while you're in this situation. And he did not blink an eye. He slept through that, all those kinds of things. Why? Because he knew that's not how he was going to die. Because God already showed prophetically that he was going to die as a martyr. He was going to be crucified. Can you imagine? God says to you, this is how you're going to die. Clearly as can be, he said to you. And the years pass, and you went from one tragedy to the next minute, and people kept saying, you're going to die. You're, oh, you're, this ain't, you're not going to make it this time. Oh. And you're just sleeping like a baby, and you're just as peaceful as can be and going through each of the challenges because you know that's not what God showed you and how you're going to die. Such peace because you knew that's, God, that's not what God's word told me. That's what Peter was living like in his last days. God showed him how he was going to die, and all these other threats of getting beheaded did not faze him. Because he knew that's not what the Lord showed him. So when, 
you look at John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus put on skin just like you and I. In Revelation 21, it says the word dwelt is the same there, the same word about this. Jesus came and put skin on him just like you and I. These things we see in the prophetic word that was going to take place, took place. And this is what the confidence that Peter had. He understood the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament at all at this point. All they had is the Old Testament. So when you hear the, the, the disciples and the apostles and all these referencing, even Jesus referencing, it's all from the Old Testament. It's not the New Testament they're referring to. All the prophetics. And Peter understood this prophecy. He understood God's word and how reliable it was. And it was going to come to fruition without a question. And so when you look at this, he says, I know this is right. I need to make sure you know that I am temporarily living in this tent. And it's only a matter of time that the Lord showed me how I was going to die. He showed me what I need to reveal to you and to show you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am going to be faithfully to do it. I'm not going to be negligent about how and what I'm supposed to be doing here. And then we see right there in verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. As a heart of a pastor, a true pastor, a true shepherd, not only is Peter concerned from the past for his people and the present of where they are today, but he's also wanting to make sure that they are reminded of these Christian, basic Christian truths of who Jesus is and the prophetic word. Because he wants to make sure that these things, after my decease, he didn't have a heart and say, well, you're going to stop paying me within the next week because I'm going to die. I I'm done. I've done my part. It's your problem. You weren't listening to me over the last years. It's your problem. I'm out of here. That's not a heart of a pastor. Is that a heart of a shepherd? They're concerned even for the sheep after they leave. Any of the apostles. Bring Paul into all of that. And all the time, it was always never about the moment. It was always about making sure even long term. That they're cared for. So he says here. I'm putting a reminder in this letter. I'm writing a letter to you as a long term. This letter has now been a reminder to all of us. And to them for 2,000 years. And his word will never cease. That's how sure Peter was. That God was moving him, as we will see in the scriptures, moving him to write this letter to them and that this would be then used by God to be a reminder to the people the rest of their life. Think about that. The word of God preserved all of these years of 2,000 plus years and will never, 
His word will never cease. That's what you base your life upon. A constant reminder through the word of God. It's interesting at the very end of verse 15, the word decease. You can easily jump from that and say, okay, that means he's dead. It's actually in the Greek, it means exodus. It's the same word when they took God's people out of Egypt. They exodused. They left one state into a new state. It didn't just stop. Many people today think once you die, you just die. It's no big deal. And they've been deceived by Satan because they can just live however they want to live. And there knows no consequences after they live this life in this tent that is given to us. Like, I'm not accountable to any of this. It's all just, it's just myths. It's just fables, as we will see. A constant, constant tearing down of the truths of God. That there is eternal, an eternal state. But Peter seemed to be aware of the significance of the, the passing of the apostles. And that the need to preserve the authority teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And to preserve that to make sure that these teachings, these written teachings of the apostles and the associates were in the next foundational layer upon the church. We see that in Ephesians chapter two, uh, chapter 2 verse 20. To preserve by God all the generation to be able to continue to go from generation upon generation upon generation. We were just talking earlier. You think everyone knows who Jesus is. If you think that, then you obviously are not evangelizing. You're not out there sharing the gospel with non-believers. Because if you did, you already know the answer. It's shocking of all ages how many have never heard of who Jesus Christ is. We were just talking earlier about John 3.16, never even, don't even know what John 3.16 is. It's just another slogan. It's just another marketing tool. I think it's biblical. Like, let's get it that far. John 3.16, written on the old football player. Is that his number that he wants? I mean, what's the secret code? They don't even know it has anything to do with God. That's why I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, we are to take what we know is truth and it's eternal life and go share it with those around you because they do not know. They don't know this truth. Yes, I know. Peter's like Peter say, I know you know all the truth. I know you know the basics. I know you do. You're not living it, some of you. You're not living it at all. But let me ask you a question. A non-believer that doesn't know it, and a proposed believer who says they do but don't do it. What's worse? So he continues here in verse 16 through 18, and he talks about that assuredness of the testimony of what the apostles lived. He says, for we did not, did not follow cunning dis, d, d, devised fables. 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. And the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then in verse 18, and he said, and we, Peter writes, and we, who is he referring to? Peter, James, and John, the inner circle that was there at this time, he's referring to. Heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What holy mountain? Mount Hermon. The Mount of Transfiguration. This is what it's being referred to here in this part of the thing. He's bringing back to light. He says, wait a minute. You guys have to remember, I'm reminding you these things constantly. Why? Because the authority that we have is because we were eyewitnesses. We're not like making this stuff up as we were following Christ. We didn't, these are not devised fables. The, the word here in the Greek is, means myths. It's not some myth that was created. We could continue to propose a myth. He says, the focus of this whole thing about the transfiguration of what we saw in Christ Jesus, the experience that is recorded. And I'll give you the three recordings of it. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Mark 9, 1 through 9. And Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Go back and look and read of the account of the amount of transfiguration. I find it fascinating when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, none of them were there when this took place, but they're the ones that God used to write it down. But Peter here, the one who's talking about referencing, he lived it. He was right there. He was eyewitness with James and John. So Peter's sitting here going, wait a minute, I have some authority at understanding what I, I witnessed with my own eyes. And I'm trying to get it across to you how important this is. So don't just don't just brush me off because you don't like this part of what, what I'm about to write. There on Mount Hermon, I saw Jesus glowing. I saw Jesus' deity shining through his humanity never seen before. I saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I saw right there in front of my eyes Jesus glowing, but I also saw Moses and Elijah. I heard the voice from heaven come down with clarity, with no question of what was stated. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In fact, the very words that were he used in this section here reminds us of the experience of the entire Mount of Transfiguration that took place. And when this man, Peter, just is now reflecting of what his experience took place. But let me remind you, my brothers and sisters, even that experience did not compare to when he got born again. That experience didn't change his life. Did you know that? 
It was just an experience with the Lord to watch what took place, but that did not lead them to come to a born-again experience. But he's reminding them, we didn't follow some cunning device. We're not following fables and myths and superheroes and zodiac signs and fads and theories, all of the things that go on today. No, no, no. He says, I, we, don't, we don't follow any of those junk. Peter solemnly declared that the testimony of the apostles, the testimony of their enduring torture they give their lives for based on the truth of God. That wasn't based on a fable that they were willing to be martyred and being suffering for. It was not for some faith in some superhero moment. It wasn't based on some clever fables or even half truth, but on the eyewitness testimony, the actual of his majesty right in front of them. When Peter eyes witness the majesty of Christ, there were many occasions. But this one must have stuck in his head more than any of the other ones he ever saw. Why do we know experiences do not change people's lives? Look at the children of Israel. They went from one experience to the next experience, from the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues prior to that, conquering of the, of the, of the enemies, God's divine provision of the manna, water coming from a rock, the rock following them through the desert. Experience after experience after experience of God doing miraculous things, and they still died in the wilderness of unbelief. So how do I know people can come to church their whole life and still die of unbelief? Because the scriptures show me that can happen. This is not a time to play church. Do you realize Jesus is coming back for his people? Are you one of his people? Peter wasn't messing around here. He says, I'm reminding you and constantly being reminded because you need to because you're going to get caught up in the things of this world. You're just going to want to follow your flesh. You're truly, really not following Christ. And that's why we need to be reminded today. Not to chase experiences. Peter didn't even get it right on the Mount Transfiguration. You know that, right? <laughs> he gets there. God allows Peter, James and John, the only three of the twelve, to be able to see Jesus' deity to come and appear and glow in front of his eyes. 
to see Moses himself and Elijah. And what does Peter do? He can't shut up. You can see him. I got to be in control. I got to do something about this. And he says, isn't it good that we're here? Are you kidding me? That's what you had the first thing out of your mouth is, oh, I'm, I think it's good that we're here. Like you had value, Peter? You didn't add no value, Peter. Matter of fact, it got worse after that. Then after that, what does he say? I'll build three tabernacles. Do you want, some people look at that and go, oh, isn't that nice? No, no, that wasn't nice. That wasn't good. That means he put Jesus equal to Moses, <laughs> the law, and Elijah that represented the prophets. He says Jesus was equal to the prophets and the law. He didn't get it. He didn't still get who Jesus Christ is, even though he's glowing with his deity showing in front of his face. And he gets rebuked by the Father. You know that message was right directly to that boy. This is my beloved son, Peter, in whom I am well pleased. You don't hear Peter after that. <laughs> you don't hear nothing after that. I have compassion for Peter because I'm a Peter. How many times can you say something you wish you never said? You say things you think you're being helpful when you're really not being helpful. When you think you're, you, you need to do something versus just being still and watch and listen. So I understand. We see in Matthew 17, 12, that Jesus shined like the sun. This wasn't some little glow. It was, he was so bright, you couldn't even probably see him. It's the same sun. The same brightness. Before the world was created, there was light. Did you know that? Before the sun was created, before the moon, before the stars, there was light. Who do you think that was? It was Jesus himself at the beginning of creation. We see him now at the top of Mount Hermon, Mount of Transfiguration, and he's revealing to them God's And they heard the words from God the Father directly. And he says, he is my beloved son. And I am pleased. See, when I read those words, I say, the Father says, he's pleased. How could I be not pleased with my relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Why can that be not him be my all in all? Why can't he be everything to me? Why can't I be seeking after him 
because the fact that he's God in the flesh. We see here in verse 9, and so when we have the prophetic word confirmed, which it was confirmed and is continued to be confirmed, which you do well to heed, that means do, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now we should not be surprised that our world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. Is anyone surprised here that we're engulfed in spiritual darkness? And the apostles did not expect the world to get any better and better either morally or spiritually. They didn't sit there and say, oh, things are going to get so much better morally and spiritually from here on out. After 2,000 years, has it gotten any more, more morally or spiritually better? Even with all the smart things, smart people and smart capabilities, has it made it any more moral and spiritually better? I would argue, no, it got worse. They all warned the church that false teachers would invade the local churches and induce these false doctrines and lead many people astray and cause all kinds of problems within the body of Christ. The world would get darker and darker, but as it did, the word of God would shine brighter and brighter. That is why we have such hope. The things in more intensity it becomes in this world today, the more people who are really not Christians, who have been playing Christians, will become much more apparent around us. We know in the scriptures that a great falling away happens within the church. Why? Because when persecution increases, when people actually are persecuted for your faith here, those who pretend will be quickly will fade in back into the world and blend. But as a Christian, you become brighter and brighter, become more and more obvious that you're for Christ and not against him. It's the same thing with the word. The darker this world gets, the more clear the word of God is set apart from all the other wisdoms of this world. It becomes clear of its truth. It becomes clear of the life-changing power of the word of God in one's life. When someone is, it be so clear and so prevalent that people cannot shake away from the truths of God. It's that piercing, that life changing. Peter's experience at the Transfiguration was an amazing moment. But it was the testimony of God's word about Jesus was even more sure in Peter's mind than any personal experience. The actual prophetic word confirmed is what drove Peter. Peter wrote, read the Old Testament of all of the prophetic words of what God said would happen to Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes. A thousand years prior. Read Isaiah. Read the Psalms. 
Read Malachi. Read, read all the different prophecies. The, the, um, uh, the prophecies. The prophets who communicated God's word of what it was going to be and how it, who the Messiah would do and what would happen right down to the crucifixion. To the fact that born as a virgin. Of the fact that he was going to be born in, in, in Bethlehem. All of these prophecies. If you would just take a few and, and just do the mathematician, the, 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 the 10th power moment of 1 to 10 to 28 on just three of those. I just named off, I think, maybe three to eight, eight of those to you. But do you remember, do you understand there's 300 prophecies that have been fulfilled? Mathematically, that's, that's, you can't even touch that number. See, when you know the word of God and it's always true and always fulfilled and always, it's not when, it's, uh, it's, if it's when it's all the rest of it's going to be fulfilled. And that is the return of Jesus. And that's what powered Peter. He says, all oh, these experiences have moved me. But knowing what God's word said and watching it come fulfilled and knowing that it, the rest of it's going to be, I get excited and I have to keep reminding you. I got to keep reminding you. You must stay focused. Don't get distracted. Jesus is coming back. That's why he says the prophetic word is confirmed. You must heed it. You must listen to it. Why? Because it's like a light. It shines into these dark places. It's like a day dawns. It's bringing morning star. It rises in our hearts. It's such a beautiful thing. I love Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It should be like that every day for us. The word of God should illuminate your day. Revealing more truth to you and reminding you of his truth. And finally, verse 20 and 21, he says, knowing this first, knowing this first, this prophetic word, the word of God, the authority of the word of God, the reliability of the word of God, the inspired word of God, God breathed, given to you and me, his creation. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Any. For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were, what? Moved by the Holy Spirit. See, this is one of two very important scriptures you need to uh, uh, circle in your Bible that talks about the scriptures affirming that the divine inspiration of the word of God. This is one of them. The other one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. When people tell you, you don't need to read the word of God. That's just a bunch of men writing the word of God. They're no, that's just old-fashioned stuff. You're talking to a non-believer. 
They're talking to a non-believer. Because they obviously do not know the word of God. But even in Peter's day, enemies of Jesus were constantly coming in and twisting the Old Testament prophecies. Giving them this personal, bizarre meanings and attempts to exclude Jesus in every form or fashion, even though prophecy was fulfilled through him. They were denying all those things. And they were coming up with all kinds of private interpretations. I was spending time with God on the mountaintop, and he spoke to me, and the word of God came to me, and this is the new truth. Follow me. That smells rotten. And that's the next cult to start. Do you know how many people are deceived by those kinds of things? Still today. Listen to my podcast. I've come to some really new revelation. God has shown me. All these little ways. And when you're out there desperately looking for answers, you'll grab a hold of it. Because you don't know the word of God. If you know the word of God, you'd smell it a mile away. And you'd call it to what it is. False teaching. Follow this program. Follow this philosophy. Follow this little trick. I've got 10 steps to your successful, abundant life. Can, do you want me to go on? It's one of the best things that ever happened, probably getting rid of Christian bookstores, is get rid of 90% of the junk that's in it. Yeah, I'm probably getting too truthful right now. So let me go back here. So... Even if Peter's day, they were twisting and shaping and all kinds of things go, that people would follow them. And even though Peter, Peter was spoke of the prophecy of Scripture, the same principle is true for the gift of prophecy today. There must be a sober confirmation of any prophetic word. And that it is that through another prophetic word in the Scripture confirms Scripture. There's nowhere you sit there and go, I've got this private interpretation and it conflicts with the scripture. You know they're wrong. It's a false teacher. If it goes against the scripture, you must test all things. Everything I say, I try to give you everything I can from the scripture where I'm getting it from so you can go test it. Go back and listen to it. Go back and understand it. Digest it. Don't take it me for just flat out face value. You don't follow me, you follow Christ. I'm just called to teach you the word of God until you can learn how to feed yourself and to grow and to be and let the Holy Spirit move. But like the gift of prophecy, God never speaks to only one person. It always provides confirmation by the authority of the word of God. Don't let anyone. I don't care what their position is. They could be bishop, pope, 
pastor, whatever creative little title they come up with. But if they come up and say, God showed me to tell you this, test all things by the word of God. Do not be deceived by religious people. And make sure when you do use the word of God, it's in context. Do not take the word of God out of context to fit your narrative that you want to hear. Are you with me, my brothers and sisters? Good thing I'm ending, because I'm just getting round up. <laughs> See, prophecy never came from by the will of man. It is wrong and invalid to twist prophecy to our own personal meaning. Because it didn't come from man. Do you realize that prophets who communicated God's word didn't even know what they were actually saying? Because it wasn't fulfilled. They didn't know. There's going to be a Messiah? Going to be God himself? What does it mean he's going to be pinned up? What does it mean he's going to be living in Bethlehem? What does it mean? They didn't know all these things until it became, became fulfilled. Then it became very clear. And even then the religious leaders denied the truth of the fulfillment of prophecy. Because it went against their narrative. It went against the, what they wanted it took away their authority and their position and their notoriety. Be very, very careful because the scripture is God-breathed. They are not the inventions of men. But you understand, it was the movement of the Holy Spirit who is like a wind that catches the sail of a ship and just carries along this man to write down the words that God is giving him for the purpose for to be read and preserved. Being carried along by the wind or by the current, by the word is used of a ship. We see that in Acts 27, verses 15 and 17. You want to go back and read that. But it's with that ship in conjunction and in cooperation with God, the Holy Spirit, it raises their sails and catch sails and is moved. How does a church function properly? Is it by the wisdom of man? Say no. By the strength of man? No. By all the resources of man? No. It is by and through the word of God and being empowered by the spirit of God working through willing men and women who are 
godly, willing vessels to be used by God. And when, this, when you are a willing vessel to serve God and be willing to do what God wants you to do, and you just wait, the Spirit of God is going to catch your sail. And it's going to start moving, and when you see Him moving, you're just going to go with, move that movement and the will of God. And let me tell you in your families, you want a fresh wind coming in and through your household that is of God and not of, of the demonic? Then be men and women, fathers and mothers in that household that love God, who surrendered their life completely and is willing the Holy Spirit to come in and move them to do what God's called them to do as a family. And watch the transformation take place in your marriage and in your families. Let the Spirit of God work. Don't grieve the Spirit, because if you grieve the Spirit, there's no wind and you're sitting out floating in the middle of a shark-filled ocean and they're just waiting for you to dip your toe in. That's what it's like, my brothers and sisters. He stay in the boat, set sail, and let God move in your life today. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that you, Holy Spirit, just showed Peter to write one more letter. He could have just closed down and said, okay, I'm going to die. I can see everything. I know what you told me, Lord. I'm going to be killed as a martyr, and I'm done. I, I, I'm done. I can just sit and I can fear over all this and I can be the what is and all of the things. But Lord, you, you chose as a, Peter was a continued willing vessel to be used by the Holy Spirit to write one more letter to remind us of the truths that you have for us. I pray it was a great reminder for us again today, Lord, as we open up your word. Of first, of how much you love us. How much you care for us. How much you desire to have fellowship with us and to worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we get to have, we get to have a personal relationship with God Almighty. Have a fresh work in each, every person's heart here today, listening here in person or online. Reveal yourself in a mighty way to them this morning in the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.